Welcome to Christian Life Academy. We're working our way through the Second London Baptist Confession of 1689. We're in Chapter 3 of God's Decree. And we had just started last week, Paragraph 2. And I'm going to review that real quick because where we ended was we finished Paragraph 1, then we went to Paragraph 2, and we didn't get to read the verses. So I'm just going to hit the bullet points again. No discussion. Well, I'm not saying like, no discussion. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, let me know if you have a question. But I'm not going to go through them again because we talked about them last week. And then we'll just read the verses and then we'll move on from there. So what we talked about was paragraph two was, although God knoweth whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future or as that which would come to pass upon such conditions. So this is unconditionality. In other words, God's decree is not based on or conditioned on what will happen. He didn't decide what would happen based because he knew what would happen. That wouldn't be God. That would be a fortune teller. So that's not what happened. God knows the future, including what could have happened if he had decreed differently. However, God did not issue his decree because of what he saw in the future. The future happened and is happening only because of his decrees. Nothing existed when God decreed. Therefore, God took nothing into consideration except his own will when he decreed all things. This means that no one counseled God when he decreed. He did not need to use his knowledge of the future to make his decree. By the way, we believe that God's decree happened before the creation of the angels. Before the creation of the angels. There was not a holy council of angels that decided what would happen. That would make God less. It's God that decided what would happen. Arminianism was dealt with at the Synod of Dort, 1618-1619. Arminians said God looked to the future, then made his decree. In other words, God's decree is based on the independent performance of man's free will. This makes God and his decree subject to man's will. God has to work around what man wills. Applied to election, this becomes self-election, where God looks forward in time, identifies believers, and then basically backdates them. The confession clarifies this by stating there is no future without God decreeing it. The corridor of time is the one God decreed. In other words, the end of time, I'm sorry, in other words, the end of time comes from the beginning. A. Hodge said this all-comprehensive purpose is not as a whole, nor in any of its conditional elements, conditional, that sounds a little like a double, but it's not. It in no respect depends upon the foresight of events not embraced in and determined by his purpose. It is absolutely sovereign purpose, depending only on the wise and holy counsel of his will. The attributes of God, including his self-sufficiency, his eternity, and his immutability or unchangeability, all mandate his own ability to determine what will happen in his creation. God's decree is comprehensive, it determines all things, therefore if it determines all things, none of those things can affect the decree. I, said, I made this statement before, and actually I had at least one person, that I think I had two people, that actually pointed out to me that, that something clicked for them when they heard this regarding Arminianism, or free will, because this is a big question, right? We do have another chapter on free, we're going to talk about free will, but one of the things that I said that clicked for them was, if you think about, if you, if, if, you know, those who believe, let's just say it that way, could be you, that uh, man has free will in this one thing. Okay, now that's Arminianism. That man can decide whether he is, and this is, there's a whole bunch of isms we can put on here, but man can decide salvation independent of God. God has no control over whether man gets saved or not. Now, obviously we don't believe that. The order salutis, the order of salvation, starts with election, before the foundations of the earth. It's not a looking through the corridors of time to see who did it. God decrees it. He elected 
the believers, then he sends the Holy Spirit. The next step is that according to the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit turns the heart of stone into the heart of flesh. That means that the very next thing is God intervening in someone's life. Now, even if you look beyond that, you say, well, well, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Because maybe God intervened because the person was going to make that decision. Something like that. Not what the scripture says, but let's say we come up with some convoluted argument about that. All right. This is exactly the same thing I said before. There are so many things that had to come together at that moment for that person to get saved. That if you say that that decision is up to man, not up to God, who was the one that preached the gospel to him? Was God in control of that? Was God in control of that person getting saved, learning the gospel, I mean, to share it? Did God bring those two people together? How did that happen? In other words, there's so many, that's, that's just one small part of that. All these things had to come together for that person to hear the gospel and then to react to it and get saved. Well, if you say that the only thing that man controls is his decision for salvation, then how did all the other things happen? In other words, if God did not put somebody in that place to tell the gospel to that person, they couldn't have got saved. Right? So if God's in control of everything but that, well, he controlled who heard the gospel, didn't he? See the problem? It's a huge problem. And that person who shared the gospel all of the things in their life that put them at that particular place to actually tell it, whether it was a preacher, whether it was a person they met, whether it was a sermon audio, whatever it was, wherever they heard that, that all took a thousand things in order for that to happen. Right? Was it a preacher? What made him decide to go into ministry? Who trained him? How did he get to the place where he preached? Was it an individual? How did they learn the gospel? How did they get the courage to share the gospel? How did they learn how to share the gospel? How did they run across that person? What was the situation that that happened? How did that person happen to be where they were? Was it at work? Who was the one in control if they got that job? You see what I'm saying? You can't possibly believe that God has control of everything except that decision and not see that God controls what happens to make that person become a believer. Controls it all. Every aspect. That's the core of this paragraph. That's the core of this paragraph. Let's look at some verses. By the way, it doesn't hurt when I'm reading these verses, particularly the ones that are in the footnotes. These should be in your book if you have a book. You should have a book of the 1689 with the footnotes in it. But it doesn't hurt for you to look these verses up, not necessarily with me, but with me is fine. And sometimes you can write in there in the margin of your Bible, a note, that's not sin, by the way, to write in the margin of your Bible. It's okay. So, you can write in the margin of your Bible, like, God's decree. See what I mean? You can actually put something in the notes here in the side of your Bible that helps you remember this. All right. Acts 15, 18. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. So, this is actually referencing the very beginning of the paragraph, which said, God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass. He knows it all. Knows it all. Revelation, I'm sorry, Romans 9. We're going to do a hop, skip, and a jump through chapter 9. Verse 11. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, 
but of him that calleth. So, he's talking here in this passage about Jacob and Esau. Paul is when he writes this. But notice in this verse, he's saying, he's referring to the fact that the children were not yet born. They had not done good or evil. But for the purpose of God and election, it was he who called them. Look what it says in verse 13. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. This is before they were born. God says that before they were born. It was not up to Esau. It was not up to Jacob. It was up to God. Verse 16. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. It's not up to the individual, Paul is saying. It's up to God, whom he gives mercy upon. 18. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. All right, so this is very difficult to argue with this passage. This is very difficult to argue with this, against this passage and say, oh no, man has control. Clearly, this says that that's not true. This is specifically what Paul is addressing in this passage. He's addressing this idea that it's up to man. No. Paul says, no, it's not. Look at this example that we know from history. Jacob and Esau. God tells us. He shows us. He makes the decision. He decides who we'll have mercy on. And let's not forget, before we go down this path, well, that's not fair. Don't go down that path. None of us deserve mercy. None of us. One person receives mercy. One person has eternal life. That's a gift. That's a gift from God. None of us deserve it. We all deserve hell. We all deserve it. So let's not go down the path and say, oh, that's not fair. That's not fair. Look, this is where a lot of religions have gone astray recently. Why? Oh, they, wanna, they want people to feel better. They want people to be afraid of what's going to happen when they die. That's a sure way to send people to hell. Sure way. Don't tell people about eternal damnation. Don't share the gospel. Why? Well, people feel bad. But I think they're supposed to. That's why we're called to repent. Repent from our sins. Because it's against God. So they want to not even think about this. Right? Even Roman Catholics. Nobody is going to go to hell in the Roman Catholics book. Nobody. That's what they teach. Is that in the scripture? Of course it's not in the scripture. Of course not. It's from a council. What do they believe? It's just a matter of how much time you're going to spend in purgatory. Except if the Roman Catholic Church condemns you, anathema. They mark you. Then you're going to hell. Otherwise, you're going to purgatory, and you'll eventually spend enough time, could be hundreds of thousands, could be millions of years, and then you will actually get to heaven. Think about that. Why do we not talk about that? It's not in the Bible. That's the, that's the reason. It's not in the Bible. Kind of a problem. All right, Isaiah 40, 13 and 14. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? No one has. 
God in his own counsel has made his own decisions. He's made his own judgment. He has the knowledge he needs. He did not need man to tell him what man was going to do. He decides. He knows. Romans 11.34, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Nobody. Lots of verses that talk about this. 1 Corinthians 2.16, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So does God have to go to man for man to tell him how things should be done? Is he, does man, God go to man to ask man what should happen? No. No. Not true. All right. So that finishes up paragraph two. Wow. We're making motion now, right? We're moving forward here. All right. So paragraph three. It's distinguishing selectivity. It's distinguishing selectivity. By the decree of God for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestinated or foreordained to eternal life through Jesus Christ. To the praise of his glorious grace, others being left to act in their sin to their just, just condemnation to the praise of his glorious justice. All right? So what does this mean? Well, God planned everything out in its entirety for his glory. This answers the most basic question of life. Why? Why was there a fire in Lenai? Lenai? I don't know how you pronounce that. Wiped the whole city out on Maui. Why? Why does God have this person die of cancer and this person doesn't? Why does this go wrong? Why does this go right? Why? There's one answer. You can stop asking the question. Because God decided it for his glory. Now, what you don't know is, how does that actually glorify God? Right? And sometimes that's the struggle, is trying to deal with that. But the reality is, you don't need to. You don't need to. Something bad happens. Guess what? It wasn't a mistake. God wasn't, you know, he wasn't looking on that time. No. He was watching. He controlled it. He decided it. Really, when I stubbed my toe? Yes. Yes. Yeah. When I got in that accident? Yes. Yeah. Why? For his glory. How? You don't, he doesn't tell you. You don't need to know. You just have to accept it. That's part of maturity as a believer. Think you're there yet? See if God brings anything else bad upon you. And then you'll know you're not there yet. Because you won't deal with it well. Right? The better we deal with problems and things that happen to us that are bad, the more mature that reflects that we are. Look, those things, those things you don't just become mature and then you're okay. <laughs> I wish that was the way it is. What happens is things happen and you grow through those things. You become more mature. That's what's supposed to happen. Now, a lot of times, we don't. So what happens? Something bad happens, or something happens we don't like, and so we react to that, and then we didn't grow. We didn't learn. So, guess what? Something else happens, and we don't like it, and we don't react well, and we don't grow. And then guess what? Something else happens, and you're caught in this. Not growing. This is why the Bible says God loves whom he chastens. Why, God wants us to be 
more mature as believers. He wants us to be more sanctified, more set apart, more like him. That's what he wants. And he'll keep working on us our whole lives. Will you still struggle? Yeah, I'm sorry to say you will. But hopefully, the way it should be, is that as you're growing as a believer, you're not struggling with the same things all the time. Some things, strongholds, you're going you're to struggle with those. Right? You're going to keep struggling with those. You've got to find ways so that you don't get tempted in those strongholds. Other things, hopefully, you learn, you don't do it. You learn, you don't do it. And I, I have to say, I think that that happens over time. I, I'm, not, I haven't had, I'm not at the end yet, so I can't tell you everything. Doug, is it true? No. Doug, not at the end either. So, but you see what I'm saying, right? So when, as we grow and we mature and we deal with issues and we're growing and we're maturing and we're dealing with issues, hopefully, prayerfully, we will become more sanctified. We will have less struggle with those issues. Does that mean that the issues go away? No. We're in a fallen world. It's still going to happen. Right? Things are still going to break. Bad things are still going to occur. We're in fallen bodies. Still going to get sick. Still going to have aches and pains. Going to be slower to recover the older you get. Everybody knows that. That's gotten years behind them. Right? This happens. No, not for Doug. <laughs> He's on a good supplement. Anyway. <laughs> is what June says. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying, right? This is what this answers that question. Why? Romans eleven thirty six. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. All things. Of him means that God is the original source of everything in existence. Right here. By the decree of God, for the manifestation of glory, some men and angels are predestined for them, blah, 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 of his glory of glorious justice. Through him, through, I'm sorry, of him, which we'll see in the verse here, means that God is the original source of everything in existence. So I'm going to read these verses. I'm going to stand over here because I'm going to read these verses as we go through these points. Hebrews 11.3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. God made everything. God made the world. Let's go on. Psalm 104, verses 5 through 31. You might as well turn to that one. That's a big one. Psalm 104, 5 through 31. That's a big one. A lot of verses there, but important. Psalm 104, verses 5 through 31. Who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever? Thou coveredst it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. As thy rebuke they fled, as the voice of thy thunder they hastened away. They, they go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys unto the place which thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. He sendeth the springs into the valleys which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle 
and herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth, and wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, and the cedars of Lebanon, which he hath planted, where the birds make their nests, as for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats, and the rocks for the conies. He appointed the moon for seasons, the sun knoweth is going down. Thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey, and seek their meat from God. The sun ariseth, they gather themselves together, and they lay down in their dens. Man goeth forth unto his work, and to his labor until evening. O Lord, how manifold are thy works! In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea, wherein all are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships. There is that Leviathan, whom thou hast made to play therein. These wait all upon thee, that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. Thou wilt give, thou wilt, that thou givest them, they gather, thou openest thine hand, they are filled with good. Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die, and return to their dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. Well, that's pretty clear. God set everything up. It did not happen by chance. The springs, the water, the trees, where they're planted, where the animals live, <coughs> all planned by God, all controlled by God. Notice what he says when he talks about the lions. They roar after their play and seek their meat from God, from God. We have other passages in Scripture that talk about how if God cares for the birds who don't plant, harvest, store food for the winter, and yet God still provides food for them, and they still live, how much more would he care for you, who he's created in his image, right? We see this over and over again. The point is, is that God is in control of every aspect. It's not left to chance. It's not left to whatever happens, happens. God is in control. Through him means that God causes what happens. By the way, the references here that we're all that we're following is Romans eleven thirty six. Let me go back. Right here, for of him, and through him, and to him, are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Through him means that God causes what happens. Acts four, verses twenty seven. And twenty eight. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. We read this last week. This is a great proof text for God's decree. All of them came together. Why? To do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. God did not leave it to chance. They had to do what they did. Why? Because it was God's decree. It was his plan. Job 1, 20 through 22. 
Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away, hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. So do you remember where this is? This is Job chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. This is after the bad stuff first starts happening. What happens? All his children are wiped out. All his children and their families, all killed. They're at a big party. The wind blows, the house collapses, all dead. All of their crops are destroyed. All of his animals are wiped out. Some stolen, some wiped out. Suddenly, all of his success is now gone. What's Job do? He says, the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. And all this he sinned not. See, if Job would have been lying when he said that, if Job would have said, look at all I have gotten, and now God has taken it away, that would be a sin. Not true. This verse right there says, in all this, Job did not sin. Even his statement was not a sin. It was correct. Who gave him his prosperity? God. Who took it away? God. What's the response? Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the right response. Job 2, 9 and 10. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest of one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did Jacob not, did not Jacob sin with his lips. So this is where his health goes bad. His health goes bad. He's in misery, covered with boils. His whole body covered with boils. Unbelievable. Painful. He still doesn't sin. And his wife says, curse God and die. Just get it up. And he says, shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? Like, if God blesses us, can't we expect that God can also bring evil? So you see how this is a little different than the first verse? You see that? I have to pick this up because I can't concentrate unless I pick this up. Can you see how it's different? The first set of verses, chapter 1, he says, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In this verse... He actually clarifies this. He says, can we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not receive evil? See this? You see the difference? So now it's a clarification. This is not just God giving you plenty and taking the plenty away. This is God giving you good and God giving you evil. God giving you evil. That's what he says. And then again, in all this not, did not Jacob, Job sin with his lips. That was not a lie. That was not incorrect. That was correct. God brings the good. God brings the evil. Okay. I don't know if I hit that button. Man, how far did I skip? There we go. To him means that the source and cause are for God himself. Well, what things? All things. All things. 
God decrees eternal life or leaving man to his own sin. Both conditions are for God's glory, in grace or in justice. That's what the paragraph is saying. In other words, if God decides that someone is going to be saved, reflects his grace. If God decides someone is not going to be saved, reflects his justice. Can you see this? Honestly, everyone deserves his justice, right? We are his created beings, and we have sinned, which means we sinned against the creator God. Did you sin one time? Yes, you're guilty of death. Rebelled against the creator. It took one sin for Adam and Eve to be condemned to a life of hard living and then physical death. One sin. That's all it took. God could have showed his glorious grace by saving all mankind. He could have saved none and showed his glorious justice. Or he could and did show both his glorious mercy to some and passing over others to show his glorious justice. Election means God's choice of someone. Predestinated means that God chose the eternal destiny ahead of time for those that God chose or elect. The scriptures say that we are elect and that we are predestinated. It is very, very difficult, nay impossible, to say that man makes the choice and yet say it was predestinated. That doesn't make sense. You, can't, you have a problem with that scripture. And you have to do scriptural calisthenics. That's what I like to call it. I don't know if you've heard that before. Scriptural calisthenics. What's that mean? Well, it means you're trying to stretch that thing and move that thing in such a way that it can say what you want it to say. Scriptural calisthenics. It's just not correct. God's word is what it is. It says what it says, and it means what it means. Foreordained means foreknew or foreknowledge. God fixed that what would happen, predestinated, and therefore that will happen. He foreordained it. He's not going to find out when it happens. He didn't use a crystal ball to see what would happen. That wouldn't be foreordained. That wouldn't be it. Which, by the way, I think Brantz brought this up when we were talking about this subject after class last week, week before, I don't know. But it was, if you think about this, this is a good point. Who said it? Was it you? It's probably Brantz. All right, so I'll give you the credit. Grant Gillahan, Esquire. No, he's not Esquire. Pastor. At any rate, here's what the point was. If God looked through the corridors of time and he saw who was going to be saved and he wrote them in the book of election, then you don't have a choice. Think about it. That means that it's already decided you can't change it. In other words, if you truly have free will, how would he know what's actually going to happen for sure? Because when it gets to that point, you could do something different. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. That would be called fate. Right? That it's already, which means that it's decreed. The illusion of free will is just an illusion, not true. So setting aside all the truths of the scripture, that's another way to look at it that's logical. All right. 
and angels. Election also applies to the angels. Was God surprised when the angels that fell, fell? Was he surprised at Satan? He wasn't surprised. He wasn't surprised. Through Jesus Christ refers to man's salvation in Christ's redemption. Angels are not in need of redemption, but both are by God's decree. So angels that did not fall have not sinned. They don't need redemption. The fallen angels need redemption. They cannot be redeemed. There's no turning back for them. God's decision was the way it was. That was it. Predestinated to eternal life is by God's active decree, while others being left to act indicates God is not predestinating them to eternal damnation. So predestinated to eternal life is by God's active decree. So someone, he predestinated somebody, he elected somebody, that's by his decree. While others being left to act indicates God is not predestinating them to eternal damnation. That's what the confession says. Others left to act. Now notice that he chooses to save some, the rest will be damned. Do you see this? In other words, it's not like, well, there's three groups. This group he chose, they're saved. This group he chose, they're damned. And this group, well, it's up to them. Not the way it is. If he didn't choose to save them, they're not saved. They will act of their own free will and prove that they're worthy of death. In fact, so do you. It's only through Christ's redemption that he has saved you. That's it. Two terms are used to categorize God's decree, positive and negative. Positive decree of election. God intervenes, causing faith in man's heart. The elect choose what their heart desires due to God's intervention. So this is getting into free will a little bit, but think about this for a second. Man's heart, in this concept here, positive decree of election, in this concept, God intervenes, causes faith in man's hearts, that's the spirit turning the heart of stone into the heart of flesh, and then the elect choose what their heart desires due to God's intervention. So what happens when your heart turns from stone to flesh? You feel the enormity of the weight of your sin, you're convicted of it, and you repent. You, at the same time, you believe on Jesus Christ. That's it. You are compelled beyond resistance. You cannot resist because of, the, of what happens in your heart, in your soul. Negative decree. God passed over the non-elect, the reprobate, does not intervene, does not create faith in them. They are left to live in their sinful nature and desires. They do not choose. They are, do not. I don't know what that means. They do not want to choose Christ because of their sinful nature. So their heart of stone is not turned to a heart of flesh. They don't want to choose Christ. They live in their sin and will have God's glorious justice upon them. God does not have to do anything to the reprobate for them to receive judgment. They do that on their own. Do you see this? In other words, God's decree is both negative and positive. The positive are those who he's elected. He's done something. He's done something to elect them. The negative, he must do nothing. They're already reprobates. They will sin. They will receive judgment. That's it. Make sense? 
so far? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's the same. Right, right. Which is why I said they left to act. They're, they're going to sin. They're going to be worthy of death. That's it. Yeah. We have no right to question God's way or his decree. We don't have any right to do so. Let's look at the verses. There's a bunch. And, of course, the first three, seven, eight, nine, are footnotes from this paragraph. Then here's some additional verses. 1 Timothy 5.21, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. So here we see a reference. This is a charge to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, but we're just pointing out here the fact that there are indeed elect angels. Before I charge thee before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the elect angels, that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. So it's just a reference that the angels are indeed elect. Matthew 25, 34. Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God does not come up with heaven at the end. It's prepared before the foundation of the world. Notice, how many rooms did he need? How many mansions did he need? Hmm. Did he just build enough for everybody and then he'll just bulldoze the ones that he didn't need? He knew exactly how many he needs. Exactly. Ephesians 1, 5 and 6. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved. So why has he predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself? To the praise of the glory of his grace. That's why. His goodwill is what decided. According to the pleasure of his goodwill is what's decided. Romans 9, 22 to 23. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. So this passage, these two verses, show specifically that God has fitted some to show his wrath. He's fitted some to show his glory. Jude 1.4, For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it say? Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men. Did they make the decision to be ungodly? When the scripture uses the term, this phrase, you see this in other places, before of old. It's talking about before creation, before time. God made the decision. It wasn't before they were old, by the way. 
Excuse me. John 6.64, but there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Hmm. Did God know, did Christ know, when Judas came on board, that he was going to betray him? Well, John 10, 25 and 26 said, yes, he did. I'm sorry, John 6.64, yes, he did. He knew. In other words, he wasn't waiting to see who was going to get saved. He wasn't waiting to see who was going to betray him. He knew. How do you argue with that? It directly says it. John 10, 25 and 26. Jesus answered them, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not because you are not of my sheep as I said unto you. Why don't they believe? They're not of his sheep. They weren't elect. John 17, 19, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they, might all, that, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Who was Christ doing this for? For his sheep, those given to him. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4-5, Knowing, brother, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you by word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Knowing, beloved, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Not that you made your decision. Your decision to accept Christ. It's not what it says. You don't see that anywhere. Romans 11, 5 and 6. Even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So just think about that for a second. It seems like it's double speak, but it's not. It's just pointing out that if it's of grace, it's of grace. If it's of works, it's of works. So if you make the decision to be saved, not God giving you it in his grace, if you're making the decision, you just worked. You did something that gave you eternal life. That's works. That's works. Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. There's a lot of verses here, but this is there's way more than this to prove this point. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. No one believed who was not previously ordained to eternal life. It was not up to them. It was those who God had ordained. That's it. He had chosen. Romans 8.30 Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Where does that start with? Whom he did predestinate. Them he also called. He did not call all. He called those who predestinate, were, were predestinated. Those who were chosen, their destination was chosen before the foundations of the earth. That's who he called. That's who he justified. That's who he glorifies. That's who's saved. That's what that is. That's who's saved. Those who he chose. 
Another paragraph. Paragraph 4. These angels and men thus predestinated and foreordained are particularly and unchangeably designed, and their number so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished. Okay, so this, I kind of was already heading down this path with a few comments I just made. But can you see this? Predestination cannot be changed as it's part of God's decree. In other words, the number of people that are going to get saved are predestinated, foreordained. It can't be changed. Their number is definite. It can't be increased or diminished. Some people can't, it's not like, okay, well, there's going to be this certain number of people that are saved because they're all predestinated. But there could be a few more stragglers that join on. It's not that way. If God didn't create it, it's not going to happen. He's either in control or he's not in control. It's that simple. He's either in control or he's not in control. This is the true eternal security. God has decreed the elect and nothing can change his immutable or unchanging will. Hallelujah. That means that you should have absolute confidence in your salvation. If God has preordained and elect you, you cannot get unelect. Does that make sense? Now, this is a little bit of a tricky subject. Okay, I mean, it is. And the reason it's tricky is because what about people that made a declaration of faith acted like they were believers, we thought they were believers, and then they go a different way. They say, I'm not sure what I believe, or I don't believe, or whatever, right? I mean, has everybody dealt with somebody like that? You don't know of somebody like this? Yes, you do. So the difficulty is, and the problem that we have is, we're not very comfortable dealing with that. What we want is for them to be saved. Of course. Of course. We should want all men to be saved. But the reality is, you don't know. You pray for them. Pray for their souls. You should pray for them. Is it possible for someone who's saved to fall away, let's say, and lose their salvation? Not possible. Is it possible they could fall away into sin and die having never repented? Yes. Still saved. Didn't repent. Still saved. Okay. No. That's the comforting part. Here's the other part. Less comforting. May have never been saved. May have never been saved. They thought they were saved. They weren't. Head knowledge, not heart knowledge. Right? Going through the motions wasn't real. This can also happen. What's the best example we see of this? Well, there's some easy ones. We already mentioned one abstractly. Judas. Judas looked like a believer. He's a follower of Christ, right? Don't you think that maybe the guys would have noticed something, the other apostles would have noticed something, if he wasn't actually 
absorbing what Christ said and doing what Christ said and acting the same way they were all the time? I think they would have, right? They would have noticed. Wait, what's this? Why isn't he excited when you healed somebody? Remember, Christ sent out the apostles in groups of two to share the gospel and to do miracles. Judas was one of them. Was one of them. Remember, Christ says that on that day of judgment, that some, some will say, they'll cry out to him and say, Lord, Lord. Haven't we done miracles in your name? Cast out demons? Depart from me, you curse it, I never knew you? Thought they were saved. Weren't saved. Wasn't real. Now this is tragic. It's, it's tragic. We cannot and do not know men's hearts. No matter what people do, you truly don't know their hearts. I don't know why I'm going back to him again. Alice Cooper. So I talked about him last week. Alice Cooper, right? As a just about as anti-God, atheist, horrible, celebrating the devil as a rocker was. Okay? He was. Radically converted, now saved in preaching. That's what he's doing today. Look him up on YouTube. See him preaching. Really sounds like he's a believer. His testimony is pretty evident that he's a believer. Okay? Now you think, well, that guy, I mean, come on. That guy was really a sinner. He was. So were you. Did he do worse things? Maybe. In God's eyes, you sinned, he sinned. Both worthy of death. Is Alice Cooper really saved? Is he? We don't know. We want him to be. We pray that this is a great example of God's miraculous transformation in somebody's lives. And I can tell you that when he preaches the gospel, he's right. What he's preaching is correct. It's correct. He's not even, he's been, like he's preaching in places that Brant's wouldn't preach in. I wouldn't preach. He's preaching in places where that church is messed up. They got heresy in that church. But he comes in and he preaches the gospel to them. Because it's like, you know, something unique. This celebrity, this guy who was a really bad guy, now he's preaching. And they bring him into their church and he preaches the gospel. He doesn't hold anything back. Let's them have it. Wow, that's strong. Right? That's strong. It's great. Is he a Reformed Baptist? No. <laughs> okay, he's not a Reformed Baptist. That doesn't mean he's not a believer, does it? Of course not. We, we hope he is. So you can think about some loved ones you have that maybe they've fallen away. Maybe they died. And you weren't sure. You don't need to worry. Because God chose. That's it. It's settled. No amount of your worry, anguish, concern changes God's decree. The number isn't going to change. Somebody can't get unsaved. Can't get unsaved. 
That's not true. There are, of course, some churches that teach that, that you can lose your salvation and get it back, right? Particularly, you can think of, there's a lot of churches that teach it, but you can think of uh, Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches. A lot of times, they will teach this. So they believe that you, the Holy Spirit departs you, and then you're not saved. And then you better get the Holy Spirit back, because if something happens to you, oh, you go to hell, because you lost the Holy Spirit. Temporary indwelling of the Spirit, that's what they teach. Temporary indwelling of the Spirit. So they think you're going to lose your salvation. Right? Not true. The number of those who are elect is chosen and set. It cannot be changed. Let's look at some verses. 2 Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having his, this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. That's it. John thirteen eighteen. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Hmm. But Christ says, I know whom I have chosen. He knows. My father, John 10, 29, which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. So can man remove himself from the father's hand? By sinning or doing something, recanting, whatever you want to say, you know, claiming they're not a believer, can they remove themselves from his father's hand? No. No one can pluck them out of my father's hand. You cannot jump ship. Does that make sense? Now, what about, we say, well, yeah, but you know what? Such and such a pastor, such and such a, you know, speaker, author, whatever, you know, he's not a Christian anymore now. He claims he's not a Christian. Says he's never sure he wasn't. He's not sure he never was a Christian. Could be true. He may never have been a Christian. Could have been fake the whole time. Or he's a believer who's in sinning, and he may repent. How do we know? We don't. We don't know. Pray for him. John seventeen twelve. While I was with them in the world, I kept I kept them in Thy name. Those that Thou gavest me, I have kept and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So who's the son of perdition? Judas. Judas is the son of perdition. And he's saying that those you gave me, I've kept, none, I've kept them. None of them is lost. The son of perdition, that one was supposed to be gone. God didn't give him him. John 6.37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Again, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Who made the decision? Man or God? Over and over again, you see in these, in these verses, all these references to the fact that God is the one who chooses. God is the one who has them in his hand. God is the one who calls them. God is the one who preordained them. God is the one who makes the decision. That's the bottom line. God's the one that makes the decision. All right, and with that, we'll start today. We'll start with paragraph five next week. Let's close in a word of prayer.